Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship today. Well, as you've heard already and we've discussed, you know, this is our annual emphasis on mission here at First Baptist Arlington. As I told the folks at 830, um, we have more than missions month at First Baptist Arlington. Every month is missions month at our church. We're grateful for that commitment. And if you haven't had a chance to make your way into the Charlie Hamill Welcome Center, which is right through these doors here to my right to your left, that's where our immersive missional experience is on display. And if you haven't had a chance to go through there yet, it'll be up all month, but I would highly encourage you to do it. It'll offer you a lot of information about what we're doing as a church, and hopefully it'll be inspirational to you as well. You'll see the flags of many nations on display throughout our campus. Many years ago, uh, the, a group of ladies in our church handmade all those flags. You know, we, we didn't order them off the internet. Um, they were actually made before the internet, believe it or not. And, uh, but they represent the peoples of the world that we know God loves and he's called us to reach. You know, if you've been with us at all in 2022, that our theme for 2022 has been gathered around a study, an exploration of our theological vocabulary and our biblical vocabulary Predominantly, we have been focusing on the words that begin with the prefix re. And so we find ourselves here with just two seasons left, missions and advent. And our theme for missions 2022 is reclaim. And so I want us to unpack what that word means to us over these next three Sunday mornings. And what we'll do on Sunday mornings here is we're going to study three different pages in Luke's gospel to help us better understand our calling to mission and how we're investing in that calling as a church. And during the week, we'll ask you in your daily Bible readings to read through sections of the book of Acts where you can actually see what we're learning on Sunday morning being lived out in the life of the early church. And so with that said, I want to invite you today to today's lesson and really this morning it's really more of a conversation, if you will, than an actual sermon. I want to talk with you about strategy for reclaiming the lost and how our church is developing its own strategy to answer the call of God in the life of our church. We're going to look at a passage from Luke's gospel. If you have your copy of the New Testament, you can look at me at Luke 10, and we're going to see what Jesus did and learn some principles for missional strategy from what he did and what he said. So let's look at the text. It's the custom of our church whenever the gospel is read to stand in honor of the Lord Jesus. So if you can, I'll invite you to stand and hear this reading from the gospel. <clears throat> After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it'll return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. 
When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but didn't see it. And want to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> As I said, what I would like to do this morning is have a conversation with you about strategy. And here's what I would tell you about our church. I want you to know, we don't just engage in mission willy-nilly. That's not how it happens. There has to be strategic conversation and prayer and thought as we engage in our missional calling. That's always been the case. Our church began in 1871 in what was then known as Johnson Station, about three miles south of here. About five years later, our city moved three to what you today would call downtown Arlington, and our church leaders realized that the community was moving northward. Now, in 1876, three miles was a long way, and so they moved the church to what you and I would consider today downtown Arlington. And we've been here ever since 1876. Our church is actually older than the city itself. But the strategy for reaching the city was to move where they believed the people would be. And then as time progressed, in 1925, the Southern Baptist Convention launched a brand new missional strategy. It was called the Cooperative Program. Our church had been in existence for over 50 years. And when the cooperative program was introduced to Southern Baptist churches, Southern Baptists were asked to join the cooperative program and start sending a portion of their funds, if they would, to a central office uh, operated by the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention so that we could together pool our resources and fund our mission efforts across the world. 
our church in the late 1920s decided to change our strategy and join the cooperative program efforts. Not every Southern Baptist church did that in the 1920s. In fact, there were some who protested it and said, this sounds like Roman Catholicism and we don't need a Pope in Nashville to tell us what to do with our mission dollars. So there were many Southern Baptist churches who refused to join. Our church did. And we have been involved in it ever since. Then in the 1950s, our strategy changed and became more localized. Under the direction of Dr. East, our pastor, we decided it was time to launch new Baptist churches in the city of Arlington. And so our church began to plant the Baptist churches all over this city. And the churches across the city that have Baptist name to them, uh, almost every single one of them is either a daughter or granddaughter church of First Baptist Arlington. And then in the 1980s, under the leadership of Dr. Wade, our strategy shifted again. Even though we continue to support our cooperative program efforts, uh, Dr. Wade led us to start a new ministry that would take the message of the gospel to the unchurched people in our community. What we discovered was the largest population of unchurched people in America, they, they live in what you might consider transitional housing, apartment complexes. And so we began to take the gospel to apartment complexes across the city in the early 1980s. And uh, of course, that ministry has grown and expanded today, and it's known as Mission Arlington. But we still continue to support the cooperative program, our denominational partners, and we are the uh, primary sponsors and really owners of Mission Arlington itself, even though we share Mission Metroplex with the rest of this city. And we take the gospel to, when we gather here on a Sunday morning on our campus, We have 354 apartment churches that meet all over this city on our behalf, teaching the Word of God. Then in the early 2000s, under our direction here, we decided to take a more personal approach to the Great Commission, and we began training and sending our own missionaries to live cross-culturally overseas in various places across the world, still supporting our historic denominational uh, efforts as well as the cooperative program and Mission Arlington. And so as you can see, Over time, since 1871, our strategy has shifted, it has adapted, it has changed based upon what we feel like the leadership of God provided for us as a church. So with that said, I want to let you in on how we're doing that today. How do we decide as a church strategically what it is that we're supposed to do missionally as a church family? So let's learn the principles from what happened in this story on the 10th page of Luke. This page in our Bibles is a page very familiar to missional strategists. Missionary strategists all over the world use Luke 10 as a guide to encourage them and offer counsel and wisdom and advice for how to lead in mission efforts. We use this page as well. So let me walk you through some principles to understand how we do it. So let me begin with this one. Our master, let's start there. Make no mistake, God is in charge. One of my spiritual gifts is stating the obvious, so let me just state the obvious. God is in charge. This isn't First Baptist Church's mission. This is not what we've come up with. We are responding to God and God's direction. And that's exactly what Jesus instructed us to do. If you still have your Bible open, look at Luke 10, look at verse two. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, ask the Lord. Ask God to provide. So that's where we begin. Our strategy starts with God. He is the Lord of the harvest. Mission is his idea, not ours. He is the Lord of the harvest. As a matter of fact, this is not new. 
This is who God is. This has always been God's heart. If you were to look back at the book of Exodus, Exodus 19, when God was preparing Israel to go live in the promised land, Exodus 19, listen to what God says in verse five. He says, now to Israel, if you'll obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19, the original calling of Israel, God said to Israel, you will be for me an entire nation, kingdom of priests. Well, what's the priest's role in the Old Testament? It was twofold. It was to represent the people before God and to represent God to the people. And so all of Israel was called to represent the peoples of the world to God and represent God to all the peoples of the world. So there's a missional calling at the heart of who Israel truly was at the very beginning. That shouldn't surprise us because if you went back even further in the story to Genesis 12, God told Abraham in his original calling, your family is going to be a blessing to all the families of the world. And so God has a heart for the people of the world and the missional calling is actually something that emerges from the heart of God himself. So we shouldn't be surprised that when Jesus comes, Jesus commissions the church. And he says in Matthew 28, go therefore now and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them everything that I have taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you to the end of the age. He says it a little bit differently in Acts chapter one. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll receive power from me and that power will enable you then to be my witnesses. And you'll be witnesses here in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the, the missional calling of God actually begins with God himself. So that means we start with prayer and we implore the Lord. Lord, what would you have us do? So if you want to know how all this began and how we continue to nurture it and grow it in the life of our church, that's what I want you to know first as a church. We start with prayer. Lord, where do you want us to go? Where are you already at work? Where, where is it you are calling us to go? Who have you placed in our midst? And what calling have you put on their hearts and can we gather around him and make a determination, is this something you want our entire church to be invested in? And so we have prayed through the years, and we have listened to the wisdom and the spirit of God. How we have found ourselves to the various places in the world, it's not like we have a map somewhere in a strategy room, and we're just throwing darts, and wherever the dart sticks, that's where we go. That's not how this works. We're seeking God's direction. And the Lord has led us and guided us. We look at the people that he's equipped, the people who have this missional calling on their lives, and we follow God's direction as he leads them and us. So we start with God. Now, second, what is our message? Well, here's our message. The kingdom of God has arrived. Once again, that message has been given to us by Jesus. If you still have your Bible open, Luke 10, look at verse 9. Jesus says this to the 72. When you go, heal the sick that are there, and you tell them the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, the kingdom of God is here. It's in your midst. The kingdom of God is among you right now. 
Now, that's not a new message from Jesus. In fact, look back one page in your Bible. Look at, look at Luke 9. Before Jesus sends out the 72, he sent out his original 12 disciples. Look at Luke 9, verse 1. Jesus called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons, cure diseases. He then sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, I want you to notice, look at verse 6 of chapter 9. So these disciples went out, they set out, they went from village to village. Notice what Luke says. They proclaimed the gospel. The word, the phrase good news is the word gospel in Greek. So Jesus said, you go and you proclaim the kingdom of God. Luke says, so they went and they proclaimed the gospel. So proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel is the same thing. That is our message. What we are saying to the world when we go is this. Something has happened of incredible significance. It has bearing on our current reality and it's offering us hope for the future. Well, what happened? Well, what has happened is the grand narrative, the great story of the gospel. Jesus has come. He has died on the cross. He has been resurrected from the dead and he has appeared to many people and he has now empowered us to come tell you about him. And he offers you something in the future that you can't find anywhere else. You know what we call that? We call that good news. And the kingdom has come. That means we're announcing that a new era has launched. In other words, we're, we're sharing a message about time. You know, there are a lot of ways to reckon time. Y'all know that, right? There are all kinds of calendars. There's the Gregorian calendar, the Mayan calendar, the Julian calendar. There are different ways to determine what time it is. As a matter of fact, it has affected you. It affects you every single day of your life. It affected you last night. You trust Congress so much Congress voted and said, on such and such a day, turn your clock back one hour. Guess what y'all did? Because you trust Congress so much to tell us what time it is, you did it, didn't you? Matter of fact, my phone is so smart, I didn't even tell it to do it. It just did it on its own. So think about that. If I were to ask you what year is it, you'd tell me 2022. If I were in Iran, it'd be a different year. If I were in China, it'd be a different year. If I were in Egypt, It'd be a different year. But I'm in the West, so we say 2022. How do we know that? Well, it's a decision we've made about time. Well, Jesus said, when you go, you make an announcement about time. When you read the Bible, in general, the Bible divides time into two huge eras. This present evil age and the age to come. Those are the two ages in the Bible. This present evil age the age to come. Here's what Jesus said when Jesus came. He announced the age to come has already arrived. The age to come is now here on this earth. The kingdom of God has come. That's why you and I are supposed to pray, Lord, uh, we ask him, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why are we praying that? Because Jesus says the kingdom of God has already come. We refer to that theologically as inaugurated eschatology. That means it's not fully consummated yet. It's not fully realized yet. We are still in this present evil age. But the kingdom of God, the age to come, is already here. It's already been established. Jesus gives us hints, clues. He shows us examples of the power of God for the kingdom era. And here's what Jesus said. You go and announce that everywhere you go. So guess what we do? 
Our message is to tell the world that the kingdom of God has come. And here's what it looks like. Here's how you're to live in it. Here's what it means to be a citizen of it. And so we train our people in this core message. Now, are y'all still with me? So how do we do it as a church? What, what, what's our methodology? Well, I want you to know our methodology has been influenced by the teachings of the New Testament, as well as what we've learned in Christian mission over the last some 2,000 years. But the core teaching is in the biblical text. This page is one of those pages that we turn to. So here's our method. Our method is we will send, we will go, we will meet needs, we'll pray, and we'll proclaim. That's what our church is doing. And the reason we're doing that is because we believe that's the biblical methodology laid out in the scripture. We find it here in this very text. We're going to send. That's one of the things we do. We have prayed. We have sought the wisdom and the counsel of God. We have a, a group of lay leaders in our church who work right alongside Ashley. It's, that group is called the Great Commission Council. It's my all-time favorite name for a council at a church. It's not the mediocre commission. It's not the Great Suggestion Council. It's the Great Commission Council. It's that commission has come from Jesus himself. And it's our responsibility to determine the strategy for our church as we find our way in living out the Great Commission. And so here's where we have felt led after a long time, lots of prayer, a lot of conversation, a lot of the wisdom of the Spirit of God following his leadership. We've established three global centers across the world. And your church members live in those global centers and they give leadership to each one of them. So there are church members living in each one of these global centers across the world, long-term investing their lives there. Two of them are in Europe and one of them is in West Africa. We're launching a fourth global center that's a little bit different than the other three. It's going to work it's going to be based here in Arlington and work in some highly secure areas across the world. And so because of that, we can't talk about it much in this kind of a setting. But we're mature enough to know that and talk about it when we can and develop it and grow it as a church. True? Our missiology has matured enough where we can do that. We just can't necessarily broadcast it here. But the point is, we will eventually have four of them. We've been led by the Lord. We have people who populate them. So let me tell you what you're doing. Do you know that for you as a church member, you are participating in sending. You have sent. You. You've done it. You have sent Ryan and Sarah to Europe. You have sent Emily and Guillermo to Europe. You have sent Gabe and Seda to West Africa. You're going to be sending another couple to this next global center. And here's how you do it. Do you know that you participate in it in numerous ways? You pray for it. You bless it, you encourage it, but do you know that when you give your money to our budget, every single dollar that you give to this church, a portion of it to the budget, when you give a dollar to the budget, we take a portion of that to support our sending efforts, to provide the core budget to put our people in these global centers. Every dollar you give, not every other dollar, not every dollar we mark out as special, Every dollar you, so when you give your tithe to the budget of this church, you are helping to send these people. So this morning, when you slept in for that extra hour, before you lifted a finger, before you looked at your phone, 
before you offered any prayer, before you did anything this morning, if you've ever given a dollar to this church, did you know that what you are doing today, you are making sure that the gospel, the kingdom of God, is being proclaimed in two European global centers and one in West Africa and one about to come. And you did that this morning without even lifting a finger because you're part of this church. It's awesome. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. You're also supporting our historic denominational partners. Of course you are. Y'all know we work along the border in Texas. Um, We're Texas Baptists. We believe in taking the gospel to the border. You know that. We have some historic denominational connections. In our first worship service, Miss Nettie Gamage led the prayer from right here in this chair. 38 years in Asia as a missionary. Great, godly woman. And our church has participated in supporting the sending of people like Miss Nettie and many others across the world through our denominational connections. But you are supporting what we're doing here, and we do it through Restore Hope. Restore Hope is our primary partner in mission. Restore Hope is the vehicle that we use to get our people to the field. Restore Hope provides us platforms in places that we can't provide for ourselves as a local church. They help us find entree into these places and they help us support through the business strategic practices of Restore Hope to support our workers. Not only that, you are engaged when you give through, through the budget, you're engaged in providing pastoral care and love and support for all of our workers. You also give to the World Mission Offering after you've given to the budget. You also give to the world mission offering. Let's say it together. After you give to the budget, because the budget is the bread and butter. That keeps the mothership alive and well so that we can do all this work. So that's where it starts. Then you give the world mission offering, and that money is specifically targeted to all of our mission sending efforts. Mission Arlington, our historic partners, our strategic partners, and then the sending of our workers. So you send. Guess what else you do? You go. People in this church go. We have teams, short-term teams that go. We work with indigenous leaders and partners and networks on the ground. We have a brand new missional network that's just now emerging that we're a part of, and you're going to hear more about it. More about it. It's called Ascent. It's going to be launched in November. I'm the chairman of the steering committee of launching this multi-denominational missional network. Uh, in November, Wayne Faison is going to be elected as the new general, executive director of the Baptist General Association of Virginia. And Virginia Baptists are going to provide the national platform of ascent, and we're going to participate in it. You'll be hearing more about it. We go. We meet people's needs. It depends on the situation, but we send teams to all these global centers, places across the border, various other places where we feel led to go. We send our people, and our people go, and they help. They come alongside our workers on the ground. And many of you in this room have been on those trips. That's a part of going. And God uses you when you go. We partner with our global center leaders to meet needs. So for example, in one of our European uh, global centers, we have immigrant women who are incredibly isolated. They're in a new culture. They can't speak the language. And so they feel very alone. Their families feel alone. So guess what your workers are doing? They're providing outlets of ministry for these women, places where they can find community. We're teaching them how to speak Spanish so they can learn how to engage in in a future where their new home is. We also provide ministries for their children, help them tutoring them in school, helping them find their way in a brand new culture. In, In places like Slovenia, where communism has basically 
pulled the heart out of so many people spiritually. Well, we're providing tangible ministries. That's one of the things Ryan and Sarah do. Some of you have gone. You've gone and led the cowboy camp, working with youth, giving these youth hope and something else to look forward to in their life in Slovenia. We are engaged in West Africa in so many ways that we help people's needs. Our orphan sponsorship program, many of you participate in that, and you are blessing these orphans and caring for them as we try to make sure their lives are improved. We're about to open a, a brand new cafe here on our campus it's called the Good Day Cafe, Goodeo in Creole. And for $1.23 a day, that provides for an orphan in Sierra Leone. So when you buy a cup of coffee in this new cafe, the first $1.23 of that cup of coffee that you buy is going to go to support an orphan in West Africa, and we're going to help an orphan have a good day. That's, that's what the name means. Um, some of us provide direct funding to some of our workers, over and above our giving to the budget and the World Mission offering. And then we go. Do you know, when you go sometimes, you go to meet people's needs. In January, a team goes to Sierra Leone from our church every year. We join with other churches. It's a medical dental team. And we have a team leaving in January, getting ready to go. Cindy always leads that team. Well, last January, they went. Pastor Emmanuel is our indigenous leader on the ground, works with Gabe and Seda. He said, here's where I want us to go. It's a closed part of Sierra Leone. We have no work there. We have no churches there. And so this group from First Baptist Arlington, along with some other folks, took a medical and dental team into those far reaches of Sierra Leone. We cared for the medical and dental needs of people. We met their physical needs. We healed them. That's what Jesus said do, didn't he? Jesus said go, heal the sick. So we did that. Once that happened, some of the chiefs in those villages came to Pastor Emmanuel and said, okay, now we want you to come back and tell us why you're doing this. So Pastor Emmanuel has sent teams back into some of those places. Ashley told us this week in staff meeting, after that's happened over the last 11 months, in those areas where our medical team went last January and there was no work, we have 100 new believers waiting to be baptized. Isn't that awesome? Healing the sick, proclaiming the news of the kingdom. And guess what? Not just the ones that went are a part of that, you're a part of that because you help provide the support for all of them to go. In other words, you are having an impact around the world. We are praying, we're proclaiming, we're planting churches. The methodology we have found straight here in the straight out of the scripture and then here at home, we're building the infrastructure to provide for all of it so that we can answer the call of God on our lives as a church family. So what's our method? We're sending, we're going, we're meeting needs, we're praying, we're proclaiming, and God is honoring it. And let me just close with this. Here's the good news. What is our mission? Well, our mission is God's mission, and here's what you need to know. It's going to succeed. I mean... <laughs> It always does. What happened here? These 72 went out. If you look back at verse 17, they came back and they said, Jesus, you, 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 you're not gonna believe this. <laughs> Even the demons submit to your name as if that's going to shock Jesus, the son of God. But they're, they're like, you're not gonna believe this. If you go back in Acts 9, the 12 went out and Herod, who had already killed John the Baptist, they came to Herod and they said, you're not going to believe this. There's people going all over Galilee preaching, teaching, and healing the sick. And Herod said, well, who are all these people? I thought I already killed John the Baptist. He said, well, bring them to me. I want to go meet him, talking about Jesus. Well, he'll meet him later on another page in our Bibles. But notice what happened here. Verse 17, the 72 came back and said, Lord, it's amazing. 
we were victorious. You know what Jesus said? Look at verse 18. Jesus said, well, of course. <laughs> of course you were successful. When you proclaim the kingdom of God, guess what happens? Every time it happens. And there are victories when it happens. He says, you know what happens? Satan falls like lightning from heaven. Every time it happens. Now, there may be an inference to way back in the far distant past when we know Satan fell but in this text, I think what Jesus is saying is every time this happens, guess what happens to Satan? He falls again, and he falls again. And so guess what? Last year, in January, we take a medical team to Sierra Leone, and then guess what's happened in that very region over the course of the last 11 months? Satan has fallen again and again and again, 100 times. He's fallen again and again and again and again. Praise God for that. That's what's happening because the kingdom of God is real. And so we're participating in it. We're going. We're sending we're invested in our local mission efforts, of course. We still support Mission Arlington. Absolutely we do. We have many people in our church volunteer there every week, partnering with multiple churches around this, this community. We're Texas Baptists. In the first service, Gary Stidham was here. Do you know that every college campus in Texas has some kind of ministry on it from Texas Baptists? We have one right here at UTA. Gary leads it. Our Connor Toriaba. I saw Connor in here a while ago, right over there. Connor's our college minister. Connor has... has um, he is who we've sent, not just to UTA, but to the colleges of this community. But just in the last couple of weeks, Connor's led three college students to Christ by proclaiming the kingdom. Amen? And we've just seen Satan fall again and again and again. Because that's what happens. What is our methodology? Our methodology is the same one Jesus used. And guess what, y'all? God is going to win. He is. We're on the winning team. That's what's going to happen. Uh, you heard Jacob read that text where John said, man, I saw this. Guess what he saw? Victory is what he saw. That's in our future. And so think about it. Right now, you as a church, because of what you've done, this past, just this past year, because of what you've done, you've prayed, you've invested, you've learned, you've given. There are people alive right now in the Ukraine because of you. There are pastors who have stayed in their churches in the Ukraine because of you. That 140, whatever it was, thousand dollars, Elijah Brown has reported back to us. Let me tell you what we've done with that money. We've kept some people alive in the Ukraine. Thank you, First Baptist Arlington. Praise God. You are feeding people in Niger, some seven, eight, I forgot how many, 800 families a day kept alive during a terrible famine because of you. In other words, you are a part of something so much bigger than any of us could ever come up with on our own because it's God's plan, it's God's will, and God's power is going to make it happen. And so you know what you and I are going to do? We're going to join our hearts with the heart of God. And we're going to continue to take this gospel, not just to Arlington. Oh, we're going to take it to Arlington. Absolutely. But we're going to take it to the world as God directs us. And then one day in glory, we will be able to see the beautiful, beautiful celebration of all that God has accomplished through the faithfulness of his people. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much, Lord, for this gospel, this proclamation of, of good news, this truth. We thank you that your kingdom has already come on this earth, knowing that certainly, Lord, it's, it's not fully realized. We know that, but man, there are glimpses everywhere. We see hope and light and joy and forgiveness and healing and power. And we know, Lord, that that's only from you. And we, we humbly are grateful to participate in it. I ask you to continue, Lord, to use our church to be your people for this moment and this season 
in the life of our world. May you find us faithful as we obey you and your call. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.